The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Balls and Strikes podcast is brought to you by Elkhorn Training Camp. Let's have some fun and play ball. Here's your host, Tom Oldham. Coaches, welcome back to the Balls and Strikes podcast. I'm your host, Tom Oldham. I'm joined with John Oltman and Alex Hale. Appreciate you guys for stepping out. And today we are talking about the different types of practice. So uh, when we think about practice, we really bucket them into three buckets informational, competitive, and situational. And those are the buckets that we know as coaches. We don't really tell players that. We don't say, okay, here's the informational portion of the practice. Here's the simulated or situational portion of the practice. Uh, But we're saying those things to you so that you can think about your practices, your approach to practice in those different buckets. And now we're going to deep dive uh, into each of those. So let's start with informational types of practices. And John, you really talk about these in terms of like classroom settings um, or, or block practice. Talk a little bit about those two things. Um, so for me, informational is helping kids kind of understand where to go and what to do. Um, and that's tied in a little bit to situational. But for example, like if I'm going to work on cuts and relays, the kids need to know where to go. And so one thing that I like to do is I like to try and teach that in the classroom or in a setting that's not necessarily always on the baseball field. Um, For example, kids are used to learning in a classroom situation and and maybe you don't have a classroom and that's fine. But I think, you know, having a whiteboard and showing them, hey, cut and relay, we got run around second, balls hit to left, where is everyone going? And I feel like sometimes when you do that on the field, you know, it's windy there's so many distractions. There's butterflies flying, you know, around. There's dandelions. There's so many things that they can look at that if we can get them in a classroom scenario where we can just really show them and they can see it, they know where to go, um, it can be really helpful. And and also when it's windy out, you feel like you are you have to yell just to explain where the kids are, where they're going. And then the kids think, oh, is he yelling at me? And he's like, no, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just trying to tell you where to go. And so that's how I like to use the classroom situation to um, – kind of explain what to do and where to go and how to just provide information. Like when I'm going over signs, for example, do it in a classroom where there's no distractions, everyone's locked in. I can show them exactly what I want. And then everyone's on the same page. And then when we get out to the field, now we're practicing it. You know, we're, we're maybe doing it in a competitive situation. Maybe we're doing it um, where we're just getting a million reps in, but I'm not talking. The kids aren't standing around bored and we're just, getting our reps in, we're getting better at it. So I really like to think about that prior to practice. How can I give this, how can I disseminate this information to them in a, in a, in a way where there's, it minimizes distractions, everyone's on the same page and it's easy for them to understand. They know where to go. And then we get to the field, they know exactly what to do. Yeah. And, and when I talk to coaches, this is, when I talk to youth coaches specifically, <clears throat> this is the number one thing that I say to start with is uh, informational um, type settings, or even writing out the information that you want to share in a given scenario. So pitching stuff, catching stuff, team defense stuff, write it all out, type it out, give copies to your players. They can take it home. They can read it. Um, that way they understand the terminology 
and you can always reference back to to those documents with your players. And as a coach, if you have all of that written out, you have taken the time to really go through those details so that in any given scenario on a practice field, you're ready as a coach, you're prepared to take your team through, through that setting. And your philosophies may change over time. Um, so you need to make some tweaks to the documents that you've created. But um, I would say for the vast majority of what you, you know, put pen to paper, um, it's going to be pretty evergreen. You're going to be able to use it year over year, um, maybe some different tweaks and maybe some different, um, you know, nuances to the situations or how you're saying it or addressing it. But having those documents um, really helps you not only disseminate the, the information to your players, but, but feel prepared as a coach. Yeah, well, Alex, what do you, what okay. do you think about informational type practices? So you just reminded me we have, so I created a workbook for our guys and it's basically, it's, it's based off of basically what we would get in, in the minor leagues. And so like you get, here's our philosophies, here's everything from eating to workouts to, you know, what to do on the road to healthy options when you're traveling um, to how we're going to run practices. We have our pitching charts on there for each pitcher to fill out before and after hitting charts for guys to fill out before and after. And that gives them a handwritten version of, all right, here's the expectations. Here's our, you know, everything laid out. And by having that, they're able to reference that as they go through the season. Uh, When it comes to getting them ready for what we're going to be doing on the field, we got to make sure everybody's on the same page that everybody knows the stuff that they're supposed to know coming in, coming to us um, because we're going to play one way. We're not going to be able to go, okay, well, how do you guys do things at Ralston and Millard West and Papillion Vista? And how do you guys do, okay, we're going to, now we'll do a little of this. It's like, well, no, here's how we're going to play. And we kind of go more pro style with like, here's your cuts. Here's your relays. Here's your first and thirds. Here's your bunk coverages. Let's, let's go. And keeping it simple helps us make it repeatable at different ages, different coach for different coaches, different teams. Um, But it also gives them, a something to fall back on when it comes back to like, they're not going to get back to their high school and go, Oh, well prospects taught me this or coach Hale taught me this. It's going to be like, no, that'll work. Like what we teach them is going to translate to whatever you guys want to do. And at the end of the day, we're like, you're playing for the coach, not just me, but you're going to go back and play for your high school coach after them. And after us, you're going to go play for a college coach. So when you get to them, you got to learn how to play for different coaches. And so being informational, making sure everybody has at least the fundamentals down is, is, critically important, I think, for getting guys prepared for the next level. And that's our job, um, whether it's travel ball or high school. We're trying to get them ready or at least able to, if they want to go to the next level, give them the opportunity by giving them the right information. So, No, absolutely. And, and John, as you, as you talk about the informational settings, you, you think, uh, you know, when we go into like the, the drills, the fundamentals in practice, those are going off of that information that, that you've really shared and that, that stage that you've really set with your, with your players, how much of practice in your opinion should be where you're working on drills, fundamentals, uh, those, those sorts of things. I think it kind of depends. So the way I kind of think about practice is, okay, what do I need to get accomplished today? So maybe we played a game and we just really struggled with our bunt defense and so, okay, during our team setting, I want to do bunt defense. So when I start at the beginning, if I'm going to talk about it with our team, whether it's in the classroom or team meeting at the beginning of practice, 
we'll review, you know, what's all of our responsibilities on bunt defense, what are our signals, what are our signs, how are we going to communicate, um, that sort of thing. And then from there, you know, we'll do our warm-up, we'll play catch, all that, and then we'll get into more of an individualized session where, okay, my third basemen are working on slow rollers because that's the kind of field, that's the kind of ball they're going to have to pull field during a bunt. My pitchers, maybe we'll do like a four-pitchers fielding type scenario where um, my pitchers are working on all their different footworks based on where the ball is bunted. And so I like to kind of build it in that sense where we talk about it, every individual um, uh, position gets their reps in for whatever they're going to need, and then we get to the team setting where now we're going to execute as a team, we're going to communicate and um, just work on it and get our reps in. And then maybe we take it one step further, and now we add a competitive situation where maybe we put something on the line where if they don't make a certain number of plays, there's some sort of discipline or something involved. So I kind of like to build my practices out that way. And then the other thing, too, is I always, and we didn't mention this, but I always, I always give out the practice plan because I want kids to know what to expect, what's coming. I want them to know how to prepare themselves for whatever it is that we're working on that day. And I found that it makes practice go so much smoother. If the kids know, like, hey, we're going from this drill to this drill to this drill, I don't have to spend any time talking about it, and they know exactly what to do, and the uh, transition times are so much faster. And so, and, and really the kids appreciate it. Like, if I, don't get a, if I don't get it out by noon, we're practicing at 3, like, hey, what's the plan? What's the plan? It's like, hey, I'm working on it. It's coming. Um, but I know, the, I know the kids really appreciate knowing what to expect and what they're getting into um, when practice rolls around. Yeah, and you, you hear a lot of youth coaches um, ask in terms of, well, can you give us some practice plans? Can you, um, you know, help us with this, help us with that? And one of the things that I always talk to coaches about is once you have that, that informational part figured out that, you know, Alex, you refer to it as a playbook or a workbook, um, you really then have to know your team. And John, I really appreciate the way that you just said that because you're, you're building your practice plans in time for what you need to work on. It isn't as though you know what you're going to have as a practice plan on you know March 1st. You're going to figure that out right before March 1st based upon the team that you have and the needs of the team and that sort of thing. So I would impress upon youth coaches to don't stress out about having um, really articulate practice plans. You'll know if you're, if you're paying attention and you're aware of your, your team's strengths and weaknesses, what those practice plans should look like. Um, it's, it's really having an understanding of uh, where you're at in the off season or in season and really how your, your team is, is playing and, and, and preparing for games and, and different things like that. So Alex, I'm going to jump over to you as we're going into this second bucket of competitive practice. Um, how do, do you build those into your practices? And if so, how do you think about uh, competitive types of practice? So everything we do is competitive, um, and at least we treat it that way. So back to what you were saying a second ago with, um, with like the informational practices, and we, I, I love what he said about writing down the practices. I don't write them out, but we verbally will tell them at the beginning of practice like what we're going to do because um, I do think that helps them. But the best thing I heard from Butch Chafin when he was talking about, uh, he was at ABCA a couple years ago, and I always follow him on Twitter and things. It's he makes his list of what things we need to work on, and then he goes through them, and you don't stop something until you get it done. So, like, if we have five things and we get through two, and that takes the whole time, that takes the whole time. When we get to start the next practice, we'll start with the next one. And I think a lot of times uh, coaches get into especially youth coaches, they'll get into this mode of like, well, I got to do this. I got, we got to go over this and this and this and this. It's like, but we didn't do the other thing right. 
And when I work with teams, sometimes they're going, well, but what else are we going to do? And I go, nothing. Did you yeah. see the last practice? We got to do this again. And they're like, yeah, but we already did that. And I go, not well, not not because this is going to lead into the next thing. And now we're going to, I'm, I, I jokingly say it, but like, I'm inherently selfish when it comes to the practice and the time. It's like, I'm selfish because I don't want to yell at you for something that I should have done, you know, earlier, or I don't want, I'm trying to save you and me time and energy. Because if I don't focus on you playing catch, if I don't focus on you working on your pickoffs or your, you know, our bunt coverage is enough or whatever, it's, it's going to come back to us being very frustrated and you getting very discouraged. And that's the number one thing with preparation is do, whether it's playing catch, four corners, short hop drills, rolling ground balls, do that really, really, really well. And then as the season goes, you can always add stuff. But if you don't do that stuff well, don't start jumping into first and thirds when you can't play catch because it's going to be a snowball fight. Don't jump into bunt coverages if you can't play catch. You can't get a bunt down um, because it's going to just become chaotic. Do your relay yeah. drills in a straight line before you try to plug in actual relays. Like, And do those repeatedly and make it so the kids can't do it wrong. Don't wait till they get it right once and then go, all right, next thing. So... Um, but back to the competitive standpoint, we try to incorporate with whether it's for bunt coverages, we'll do, we'll go to a small field for bunt coverages and we'll play a bunt game where you can steal, you can bunt. We have a full infield, um, but you can't swing. So like, that's kind of the, those are kind of the rules. And so within those rules, you see guys moving and running around. Well, within a, on a small field, you can really start to get an idea of, okay, what happens? Because, like, third baseman will crash because he's going to take it away. Well, when he crashes and then nobody covers, guy at second takes third. And you always start with a guy on first. So it shows you, okay, here's how this can work at a faster pace. And it gets kids really, really into it. So you just don't take leadoffs out and you say, all right, ball crosses the plate, you can go. You know, here it's wide open. So, um, and if you do it on a, like a 13, 12, 13 U field, you can actually let them lead off because then you can do pickoffs too. But then you have everybody involved. And so we always try to incorporate a competitive atmosphere, um, whether it's during bunk coverages, whether it's during um, wiffle ball. We don't play as much with the older guys because they hit the ball pretty hard and the field has to be pretty big. <laughs> but we'll do like line drive drills where you get in. It's like, all right, um, you're going to have, you know, you get a hit until you hit a, you know, until you don't hit a line drive. And some guys will get in there and get one swing and they're out. And it's like, well, it's unfortunate, but that's also baseball. That's also whether we do, we, we copy Reaver BP a lot. So you'll hit a couple rounds, and then the fourth round, um, it's like you get three swings. And the last one is live. So after two foul balls, if you hit another foul ball, you're out. Like, it's batting practice. We're not trying to get you out. So, like, hit, hit and go. Because um, ultimately, as a, even in a competitive environment, you're going to water it down if you take too long doing stuff. If you try to be too competitive without the structure of an actual game, it gets sloppy. And then you yeah. lose the point. Like if you're going to do a scrimmage game, if you're going to have pitchers throwing, it's going to take forever. If you have a coach throwing BP, now you're, now you're moving. But mm -hmm. you have to understand, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to be out here for six hours? If you are, yeah. you can do whatever you want. But if you've got a lot of players and you're trying to get through something, especially kids' attention spans aren't super, super long anymore. So, you know, you, got, you get about two hours max. Um, Three you know, hours. You know, one of the pace it out. I, I I totally agree with you. And one of the things that I would say to youth coaches at the the um, the younger youth ages, I think I mentioned earlier that I'm going to be coaching a nine U team next year. So I'm talking about that nine ten um, age range. Is 
building in competitive situations into practice so that, and you need to create a situation where someone wins and someone loses because that's how you teach players how to work through adversity and uh, understanding how to handle difficult situations or how to handle losing. Um, it's, it's been pretty eye-opening this fall and winter where we have a lot of competitive situations and practices and kids go off the rails if they lose. And it's like, oh, well, they don't really understand how to lose yet. They don't understand how to carry themselves. Um, so we've actually been building in more competitive situations at the younger levels so that they learn how to lose. They they learn how they should carry themselves and and not, you know. And they react the way they think they're supposed to. That's the crazy right. thing with eight, nine-year-olds. They they react how you think, how they think they're supposed to act. They throw their helmet because they think that's what they're supposed to do. So whenever you right. see it, it's like, that's coming from somewhere else. That's not coming from him. Like, he's doing that because that's what he's learning or and from where it depends. But he's learning that that is how he's supposed to do, react and feel about that situation. And so that's always fascinating to me. Like, under, getting yeah. them to understand the bigger picture and the, you know, the whole process of baseball is tough, but. It's that's a really good point. And, and, I've, you know, again, this is Keaton's first year in, in select ball and I'm appreciating youth coaches more and more because there is so much to cover. Not only do they not know how to win and how to lose, they don't understand how to throw. They don't understand how to field, how to hit um, all of these things. You have to really teach them and you got to understand at what level to, you know, to, to talk about the information. So let's, let's move on to situational aspects. So this is the third bucket. So we've talked about informational types of practices, competitive aspects of practice, and now situational um, aspects. And this I'm, and I want to make sure that you guys agree, but I'm connecting this to more the informational side where we're, we have that informational foundation. And then now the situations are kind of playing that out in terms of nope, remember we said we're going to handle this situation this way and now we're, we're practicing that is that john is that how you think about that yeah so i think of situational just is learning how to make great decisions on the baseball field because so much of baseball is just great decision making and that's what really makes a big difference in winning and losing games and that's a great way to say it so just putting kids in situations where they have to learn how to make decisions and where it's okay for them to fail um in practice, I mean, if you're going to fail, why not fail in practice? And why not try to figure things out in practice? And so, you know, we're always trying to add in ways where, hey, today we're just going to put runners on first and third, and we're going to hit and run, and you guys are just going to play it out, less than two outs. And, you know, maybe you hit a pop fly, and you got to know where to go with the ball. And maybe it's a ground ball in the infield, and you got to make a decision on, hey, he's, it's, he's doing a hit and run. Do I have time to get the double play, or do I have to go to first? And so there's just, and they're getting a thousand reps of just that situation. And then maybe we move on to a different one the next day. Um, but just getting kids in those spots where they start to understand the game and know what to do when the ball's hit to them, um, I think is really, really, really important. Um, and then in those things too, we also talk a lot about communication. So like if we're doing that first and third hit and run drill, um, between pitches, I'll give them time to communicate to each other to say, hey, if the ball's hit to me, where are we going? You know, in the outfield, I have the outfield, hey, the outfield, talk to each other. T- tell, your, tell, the, uh, tell the guy next to you what you're going to do with the baseball in this situation. Just so that way they start thinking the game and understanding what to do. Because even, you know, high school level, and I think it's starting to even get into the college level. I was talking to a guy the other day. Um, he was saying they're just kids. You know, they play so many games that they don't always have time to practice and, and learn 
um, how the game should be played and how to play out certain situations and just how to make great decisions. So um, we try to implement that as much as we can. I could not agree with you more. And I, I, I frankly can't even have the discussion with people when they talk about baseball being boring because I'm like, well, okay, then you don't understand the game because it's not boring. There's 15 plus things going on at any given point in time. And if you really appreciated the game, you would know that. So first of all, it's not boring, but the, the other thing is players today, I don't feel are spending enough time on this aspect, going to a baseball game, staying off your phone and just thinking about what would I do in this situation? Oh, what do you think he's going to throw here? Oh, did you see how he took that pitch or how he swung through that pitch? Um, if you were pitching, how would you, how would you attack him this next pitch, given what you just saw? Those sorts of things, the, the situational aspects to the game, in my opinion, and I, that's why I love the way that you said it on how to make great decisions. That's where when you get to the upper levels of baseball, um, high school, college, pro, that is what separates guys where the talent is pretty equal as you get to you know certain levels of baseball, but it's those decision-making abilities and truly understanding the game at a very deep level. That's where, that's where this part of the practice, in my opinion, um, comes in. And, and w- again, coaching a young team, they, they don't have the answers right now, but um, when you throw out situations, Alex, to your team, are they, looking for you to tell them what to do or do they communicate back to you on, on what should be done? So ours, our conversations are always questions. And so we're trying to get them to understand where are we going? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Um, but when we're when, like, especially our shortstops guys, the guys who handle the ball, especially on relays, I'm thinking relays right now with you have, if you can eliminate guys taking the next base, if you can eliminate outfielders sailing the, the throw, and hitting the cutoff, those are the ones that whether it's whether it's the state tournament or whether it's you know our bracket play in the summer, like the extra base is what you're trying to avoid, and that doesn't always show up in the scorecard, and so people don't they don't see that. It's like we didn't keep that guy from getting to second, so now the base hit scores him that shouldn't have. Well, that's the run we need at the end of the game, and so we give up one of those, and all of a sudden that changes how we have to play the rest of the game. That changes our strategy. Now maybe we have to burn for us. Now we have to burn a pitcher that we can't use the next day. Or we have to do different things, and that can change the game. Whether you strike out or you know walk a guy or hit a guy, it, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Those things are going to happen. We can adjust to that, but the things we can control are laid out right in front of us. And so we got to make good decisions. And if you can't make good decisions, you're not going to be in the game when it matters because I can't trust you. And it's not that I can't trust you to make a play. It's I can't trust you to make the right decision. And that is the next step for guys. That's the thing that you see the biggest in the state tournament is teams that are undisciplined yeah. when they get excited, when they get all that adrenaline going, yes. and they, they can't handle it. And that's when yep. the more experienced teams or the teams that are used to being there usually pull away. And that's, that's kind of what you see a lot of just from a, from a not, like not being in the high school scene um, during, the, during the spring – I just get to watch and I love like all the little things that go on and all the ways that like different coaches handle different situations. Cause it's so cool, but you hope that everybody else sees that. And, Cause it's not boring. There's Absolutely. Going on. Absolutely. Coaches. I hope you have 
taking something away from uh, this episode where we talked about the different types of practice, I would say for any of these types of practice, the number one thing is to prepare as a coach for your practice. Um, you, it, go, it should go without saying, but you really need to understand how you want that hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it may be to go for your team. And taking yourself through that practice will help you um, have the answers to those situations that um, come about during the practice. So we talked about informational practice, competitive practice, situational practice. Uh, if you have any questions on any of those, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about it. Alex, John, thanks for joining me. Thank you. 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 Th